Welcome everyone to Bitcoin Expat Stories. With me tonight, I have a good friend of mine, my roommate and a lifelong business partner, Tristan Borges Solari. How are you, Tristan? Hi, Gustavo. Feeling great. Thanks for having me here on your pod. Uh, I mean, yeah, can't complain, man. Living a good life in Mexico. Yeah, weather's pretty good. Huh? Oh, man. Always the same. <laughs> Always good. Always 26 during the day, 15 at night. Uh -huh. Get the little breeze to, to bounce off, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, very happy to have made the move here. I mean, you know, as well as I do, we tried a quite a few places before establishing here uh, in Querétaro. Uh, definitely one of the best regions I've lived in so far. I mean, tough to beat Montreal during the summer, but it's pretty much the only time of the year where it's livable and uh, people aren't as intense, let's put it this way. But What, what do you mean by intense? Well, I mean, first and foremost left the country uh it's two years now so uh after going through a winter or so of let's call them uh government crazy government measures uh got fed up was going insane couldn't focus on my work so uh the winters were particularly i mean other than the weather which is already pretty brutal Uh, just the living quality of living was deteriorating very rapidly, so I had to get the heck out of there as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, it helped escaping the winter a few times, going down to Mexico in Playa del Carmen with uh, buddies of mine, uh, including Machek. Uh, went back there later on with you, uh, and then, I mean, just after spending a couple of months in Mexico, I think pretty much fell in love. Uh, and then once we were back in Montreal during the summer, that's when we started planning out, you know, our escape, so so to speak. Uh, and I mean, got hired, acquired by Bull Bitcoin. So that was a wonderful opportunity to leave the country again. And I mean, that pretty much set us off. Before that, spent about a month in Costa Rica, uh, seeing, getting the lay of the land, uh, connecting more with uh, Francis Pouliot. Uh, had a wonderful time there. And then it was off to... Back to Mexico, actually. Yeah. Because uh, we were on our way to the Bitcoin 21 conference. But we had a month to spare. So went back to a place that we enjoyed very much. Uh, well, less so now. Playa del Carmen is fun for a weekend. But more than that, you kind of get tired of it since it's a party central Prices are a bit more expensive. Uh, a lot of tourists uh, from around the world that are there too that don't have the same kind of vibe as I do. But overall, I mean, it was just nice being out of Canada. Yeah, for sure. I, I can imagine. Well, I, I've lived the same experience and, and I feel the same. Uh, obviously, we miss our friends and family mm -hmm. and, and we do miss a bit of the culture there, but... Uh, it's, it's time to look forward rather than than backwards. So before we get into all the details about your Mexican experience, I know you already started sharing a bit, which which I, I'm grateful for. Uh, but just give us a, a bit background about yourself. How can you describe your your upbringing? Uh, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. And just tell us whatever you want about yourself. 
Sure. Uh, I mean, born and raised in Montreal. Uh, my mom immigrated from Portugal. My dad was born from Italian migrants that arrived, well, that ended up in Montreal after the Second World War. Uh, then, you know, pretty classic education, high school, college, whatnot. Uh, studied in finance in university, but regretfully, I felt looking back, it was a big waste of time. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, I met some cool people, uh, friends that I still have to this day, but the educational experience was just not worth it. Um, I mean, at the same time, uh, luckily for me, that's when I also started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, well, maybe a year or so before, but not very seriously, more exploratory, Right. Uh, touched the whole trading scene and whatnot, but I'm a terrible trader, learned a lot of hard lessons there, uh, but still had that bite i guess from from the whole bitcoin experience that i wanted to keep digging into uh that's where uh we dove in well myself you included and a couple of other close friends including matchek uh we dove into mining which was a crazy ride um probably one of the first like definitely a, a forming experience in the sense that uh you know i've never really done business uh you know in in a proper sense i was always learning about it uh, but never got my hands dirty uh, other than like jobs and whatnot but actually dealing with people that you know uh they'll smile at you they'll say nice things but then you turn around and they stab you in the back just to get more money out of you i mean that was, you, are you talking about like contractors and yeah the, that was the, a whole mining thing because i mean the we're mining not industry. yeah I mean, yeah, electricians. None of us like, were engineers or had any, had any idea before that of how to deal with like hardware at scale. Uh, I mean, which we all learned eventually. And I mean, I, I don't regret this experience at all, but it definitely um, opened my eyes to like how other people deal with me and how I want to deal with other people. And it really shaped uh, the way I negotiate my dealings just because I, you know, I got to cover my ass and. Uh, you know, I always prefer deals that are win-win for everyone, not just uh, me that's taking that's being taken for granted. So the mine worked for a little bit, but then we hit obvious roadblocks being based in Quebec uh, with the whole moratorium and whatnot. So right. that was another, you know, eye-opening experience because uh, you can have a great business idea, but if the government doesn't want you to operate, they will do everything they can to stop you. Uh, especially if you're not a big enough player. From then on, uh, I didn't lose hope, uh, stayed motivated, and that's where uh, I co-founded Verify. Initially, it was a research firm, and we did consulting. Um, that's where I, really where I got my writing experience in the beginning. I had a lot mm -hmm. of fun doing that. Uh, but then again, with the whole government measures in the past few years, couldn't do consultation anymore because we're doing a lot of self-custody stuff. Uh, you know, building, yeah, we were doing yeah. a lot of in-person stuff mm -hmm, with exactly. the consultancy and the meetup, so yeah. that changed it. Yeah, and I mean, people were approaching us after reading our articles for a while, and they really wanted an in-person presence because it's, we're dealing with very sensitive information, and you know, uh, over the phone it feels or video it feels a little bit impersonal, um, especially when it's clients that have large amounts of Bitcoin. They would rather have you there in person just to for make sure for sure if if you're if this, that's 
uh, like I can just add that, mm-hmm. like from our experience, it has been very clear that people prefer to have a in-person contact with you, and then to to do the like the workshop together for them for you to make sure they don't screw up. Exactly. Uh, so feel, yeah, yeah, feel much more comfortable, right? Uh, so we pivoted, uh, and through our uh, I guess connections and current knowledge, and I mean we were always meeting new very smart individuals that wanted that liked us that wanted to work with us and it kind of all came together around a non-custodial bitcoin only exchange so verify pivoted to that uh, i was doing like the operation side of things uh you know dealing with the customer experience uh some admin stuff uh, banking relations and whatnot. design too no yeah and that's kind of where i get it i got into design uh studied that for about a year and I started doing like the mock-ups for new features and you know images and graphic design stuff uh, I mean I still do this do that to this day I find it really fun and it's always evolving so just figuring out ways to solve problems creatively um, it's always something that will be in demand uh, and, and yeah and then eventually got acquired by Bull Bitcoin uh, over there was mostly working on the bitcoinsupport.com website and platform where users can purchase, uh, you know, pre-designed self-custody kits uh, that I helped develop largely. Uh, Did all the documentation there. We're helping a lot of customers with their on-the-calls with the self-custody and whatnot. All of this really to drive more customers towards bull Bitcoin since they are non-custodial. And from then on, uh, you know, I wanted to try other things, kind of tired with the whole experience of, uh, well, not tired, but I mean, I, I learned a lot, and but it was just not the right fit for me. So uh, now doing mostly freelance writing, uh, technical writing, still doing design work, uh, working with you and Matchek on your own projects, helping out where I can and uh, participating in the organization of the Bitcoin Querétaro meetups. Right. It's kind of like a... Yeah, so let me just wrap up to mm-hmm. see if I, I, I got, if the people listening got the full picture. Uh, so you would say that your focus is, first of all, in customer support, so helping out customers use a platform. For example, in the Verify's case, it was the non-custodial Bitcoin exchange, and then BitcoinSupport.com was... Uh, workshops around self custody. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. The second part would be technical writing, which is communicating t- complex topics to uh, just regular crowds that want to learn more about something. So very vulgarization. Right. And third would be illustrations and designs uh, to make it to either communicate brand value or just a marketing message or a user experience to a customer. As well. Yeah, Is that it? Couldn't have said it better myself. Great. All right. So before we go on into... So today we're going to talk as, uh, about two topics mainly. The first one's going to be about Mexico. And the second one's going to be about the latest work you've been doing around the cold card and other coin kite technologies where you explain how they work. So first of all, mm-hmm. let's begin. You've already started talking about a few of the places you've been, such as Costa Rica and Playa del Carmen. But now I want to hear about the, the the other places we've traveled together. So I know, but I, I want people <laughs> to hear it, right? 
so can you what can you how can you compare um San Miguel de Allende, Querétaro, Vallarta, mm -hmm. other places because people know about Cancun, about Playa. People even know about Costa Rica. I want to know about the places you've been. Mexico City, Puebla, Guadalajara, Mexico State. What are the differences? What are the things you like the most? What are the things you didn't like? Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I mean, I can start with definitely one of my favorite places being San Miguel de Allende. Spent uh, almost two months there. It's uh, In Mexico, there's a categorization of towns called... Uh, Well, they get the label of being magic or Pueblo Magico. Uh, San Miguel, I think, has actually surpassed that. Like, it's so good that it's not even in that yeah, ranking or category anymore. It's just, like, above. Um, the, being, the reason being is that, I mean, it's first of all, it's just super beautiful, very clean. Uh, every, the people are kind and welcoming. Uh, very calm. I mean, it's, it's situated in Guanajuato, which is... Uh, a state that you need to be wary when you go around. But overall, uh, that city is very safe. Uh, the streets are lined with castle walls, and behind those walls you have a bunch of different little homes that open up and that are just super charming. Uh, I just want to say the place we had when we were in San Miguel was like a castle. Well, it was not a castle, but it was practically. it was kind of like a fortress, you know, so mm -hmm. like they're... They're not built independently. They're built like separate, like uh, like right next to each other. But mm -hmm. the the walls are so thick and so big, you know. And it's it's such a it's such a good experience. Yeah, definitely very tough to get around those walls. The main cri uh, criticism I'd say is that uh, the population, the average age of the population, is much higher than mine. Uh, most residents there, or a large part of residents there, are retired. So, I mean, it's very calm. It's a great place to work during the week. You don't really have that many distractions. Um, on the other hand, on the weekend, you have a lot of visitors from other towns nearby, like Mexico City, Guadalajara, Querétaro, and whatnot, that go mostly for the nightlife. So it does have that entertainment aspect, but it's very ephemeral. Uh, not the best place for me to make, I would say, longer-term connections of people around my generation, or at least much more difficult. Right. Uh, also, the I guess a lot of the younger people there are more in, like, the artistic fields, which is great. Uh, that's I'm coming from Montreal. I mean, uh, I'm very well aware of that kind of vibe, and I'm happy with it. But again, um, with the work that I'm doing, it's a bit more difficult to connect especially when it's about technical stuff like bitcoin for sure very artistic mm -hmm. you know visual arts uh like fashion design yeah stuff like that and it's it very out there let's let's put it like that um you have a variety of communities there that push the envelope a little bit um so it's not always people that i can relate with either but i mean overall man you want to live there you, you want to build a family there uh I highly recommend it. It's a nice place. Mm -hmm. What other what other place you highly recommend? Guadalajara is a lot of fun. Uh, very, it reminded me a lot of Montreal in the sense you have a lot of like cool little bars and cafes, um, and I mean the people there are quite good look, good looking as well, um, like in Montreal. Except you know, different culture, different morals, values, and whatnot. Right. But uh, definitely a 
great place to, to visit and even to live in. Bit more dangerous. You can't really. I mean, Mexico in general, it's not. I, I never recommend showing off, uh, flaunting your wealth or whatnot. Always stay humble. For sure. Um, people in general are humble. Uh, and you wouldn't even know that they have a lot of wealth because they look like a regular Joe, you know. Uh, I've seen ranchers in Malinalco, another great place I visited. and Very good place. Yeah, super beautiful, surrounded by mountains. Uh, the air is fantastic. The food is great. Everything's from the land. Uh, and the community is very tightly knit. Uh, contrary to like Guadalajara, where it's a very big city, uh, a lot of traffic also, that's like not as great. The air quality is not always fantastic. Uh, but overall, Guadalajara, great place to be. Mainarco, again, really enjoyed it. I'd say you have a lot of big properties there, a lot of ranches. Um, and people with a lot of you know assets and natural and access to natural resources that you can never tell otherwise, just because they act, talk, walk, you know, drink, eat like everybody else, which is which is cool. You know, everyone's very uh, tightly knit. Big difference too is that uh, you know, uh, being a smaller community, they're, they they fend for one another. So all the ranchers, all the citizens living there are well equipped to defend themselves for sure and they have the the local police on their side as well you exactly know, everyone's together there it's mostly against forming threats other towns mm-hmm. cartels other we we i talked about this with magic mm-hmm. in the in the first episode of this podcast okay so one question i had for you uh, is what then like you, you talk about san miguel and, and guadalajara and manalco as places you really liked Uh, anything you didn't like? Any place you wouldn't go back to? Uh, probably Playa del Carmen or Cancun. Not the best places in my opinion. Too touristy, not very authentic. The food is not the best. Pretty bad food. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go to the beach, Puerto Vallarta is nice. It's already more family-oriented. Um Again, it's still very touristy, but if you go up north, you have uh, the state of Nayarit, and you have a few gems there. Spent a bit of time in Sayulita. Um, very cool, but again, more touristy. And you got to watch out. You cannot just swim directly on the on the Sayulita beach. You got to find like other beaches that are like 10, 15, 20 minutes walk. Yeah. Because the Sayulita beach is extremely disgusting. Yeah, it's water management, water disposal, waste, whatnot is <laughs> not the best. Um But you definitely have, I think there's one place called Punta, El Punto, something like that, in, uh, in near Sayulita, where you have a lot of large mansions and whatnot, and the beaches are... Ah, uh, Punta Mita? Punta Mita, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Where the Four Seasons is, mm-hmm. owned by Bill Gates, yeah. <laughs> That's like the, the richest spot in, right. in Mexico, uh, as a beach, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's cool. So... Um, Now that we've kind of covered what you like about Mexico, the places you've been to or not, uh, can you compare like Mexico to to Montreal or to to Europe? Portu- you're Portuguese, so right. You've been to Portugal. I just want to know uh-huh. what differences can you point out for the listeners that have never been here, have not lived here, because it's one thing to go to Playa, it's another thing to live here. Right. So, as your experience of living here. How would you compare it to Montreal, 
and Portugal uh, mm-hmm. and Europe as in general, culturally, nightlife, dating, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of, I would say there's a, a lot of similarities across the board uh, in the sense that, you know, it's all Catholic regions, uh, so they perceive alcohol and kind of relationships in the same way. Uh, but the main differences, I would say, especially between Canada and like Mexico and even Europe is, uh, and let's say from my point of view, so I'm 26, um, you know, people my age around me are much more socially conservative, I would say. Not all, of course, uh, less so in the big cities in Mexico, but already they have much more faith in God or the religion than in Montreal, uh, much more respect for authority, well, with the authority being, you know, their family, much closer to their family. Much closer. That's that's mm-hmm. the one that I would put put yeah. a, an emphasis on. It's the, mm-hmm. the cl- closeness to the family, you mm-hmm. know, seeing the family every week, every weekend, you know. All the time. Family is the most important thing. You grow up with your brothers and sisters and cousins and second cousins and third cousins. Uh, Everyone is together for the most part. Uh, I mean, you always have cases where people turn against one another, but that's because of other factors like money or whatnot. Um, Like it's beyond what we're talking about, I think. Uh, Unlike Montreal, where as soon as you're 18, well, less so now, but because it's just too expensive, but as soon as you're old enough and you want to move out, you want to get as far away as you can from your parents, even if you're living on the same island of Montreal as them, um, because you want to go out every night and party and, you know, do your... You want to be like you want to be. You think you want to be, and that's what being independent means. Yeah, it's it's like I remember when I was that age, I I wanted to move out because, and and because I I thought that's what freedom was, you know, Mm -hmm. which which is not at all. Doing whatever you want, but you don't really have any life experience, so you kind of just wander, sometimes aimlessly. Um, But the difference being, Montreal is a very has a very strong artistic community, so a lot of people converge towards that and that's where they find um, where they recognize other people at the same time you know some of those conservative values um, fade away in exchange for more liberal ones which I'm not saying is necessarily bad but uh, your approach to life is quite different Um, for sure I mean here people work really hard all the time Uh, at least in a, a lot of them do. Um, Montreal, you kind of feel like... I, I don't want to generalize, because I have really good friends in Montreal too, and, and they don't uh, fall under these statements necessarily. But, um, you know, you kind of feel like since you're in a first world country, you kind of deserve to have all of the amenities that come with it. Uh, without having to put in additional effort, entitlement. Entitlement, yeah. So it's it definitely doesn't. The world doesn't work like that. Uh, we all start off like the the basis of you know us as human human beings are that we start off in poverty, and the goal is to work together to attain prosperity. Um, 
and that's a continuous effort. It's not something that, okay, we're, we're comfortable now, um, you know, let's just let our leaders do whatever they want because, you know, we're not going to get any, any worse, right? We can't. We're, we're Canadians. Things can't get bad for us. We're the model citizens of the world. Um, Portugal, you know, it depends where you go. I've traveled pretty much across the whole country. I've seen many cities in the north, in the center, and in the south. Um, my mother and her family were... Well, my mother was born in Braga, which is very much up north. Um, and I mean, I went there a few times and you rent a car and you can drive the whole country in like a day. It's, it's tiny. Um, and a lot of like little rural towns, kind of like in Mexico, like everywhere you go, there's like a town, you know, and like Canada where you need to travel quite a long distance, distances before hitting other like cities or towns. Um, I mean, like the, the towns in, in Quebec, for example, are so small. They just, mm -hmm. they're just like houses on the on the side of the road with like a convenience store, you know, it doesn't yeah. feel like a town. It just feels no, like, yeah. like a suburb of the, of another town. Like it just feels like people living in the woods, but here, and I guess in Portugal too, mm -hmm. towns, even though there's like a thousand people, you still feel an energy, right? Like you still like can recognize, can tell apart that town from the other town. Right. So Be Portugal is kind of the same. Yeah, no, definitely. Quebec, the towns across Quebec, they all, for the most part, look like one another. Uh, in Portugal, you have, like in Mexico, each region has its own kind of subculture, which is cool. Um, older generations, I guess, well, people there already have, are, are, uh, they seem more conservative, um, and they still hold on to older traditions, and also very hardworking people. I mean, and, and it's fantastic to live there too, you know, the weather is pretty consistent throughout the year. Um, You can go surfing, you can just go chill on the beach, or you can be inland. And then you also have the islands, the Azores uh, and whatnot. So different, yeah, I think I think I summed it up there. Um, yeah, you did. Uh, again, cost of living in Portugal is, is still pretty low compared to the rest of Europe. Also, a lot of stuff is produced in Portugal. You have a lot of good stuff to eat and, and drink. And the people are overall very nice as well. It seems to me that Portugal, amongst the European nations, or at least the Western European nations, will be the one that seems closest to like a Latin American country mm -hmm. like Mexico. Uh, is that is that a bit what you're saying? Definitely. I, I mean, at least amongst, especially amongst the the Latin countries in Europe, because I've been in Italy, I've been in France, and there, people. Again, it depends in the region within those countries. Um, usually, the, the distinction is you know, the, between the north and the south. Yeah. Um, like the uh, the south of Italy might be a little bit closer to Mexico. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, but overall, yeah, the, the attitude is a little bit different. Um, Portugal, yeah, I think Portugal is definitely the closest one. Cool. To, yeah, culturally. All right. Know, um, so one one thing you, you you didn't mention was you talked about the culture and the nightlife, but mm -hmm. what what about dating? I, I know a lot of people that will move here just have questions about that. So uh -huh. I was wondering, how would you compare uh, dating here as dating in other places? Uh, as much as you feel comfortable to share, right. I, I know you had a girlfriend. So. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, very different. Um, 
Montreal already is a very tough place to date in because the. I mean, yes, there are a lot of. Is it though? I I mean, well, okay. If you have money, that that already helps. But just to say that Montreal people <clears throat> tend to be. Um, no, I wouldn't say tend to be, but there there is a bigger group, a, bi a bigger um, share of people that are much more attractive than everybody else compared to other places. <laughs> and they tend to dominate the dating scene. So it's the theory. I think we spoke about this. Yeah, we, we, we've spoken about this before. The theory that like the, 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 the 10% of men get like the 90% of women. Right. Uh, but, okay, so, but if, if I can just cut you there, mm -hmm. what you're saying is in, in Montreal, in, in Mexico, you're considered part of that 10% most attractive and not in Montreal. Definitely. I mean, being a foreigner helps. Uh, speaking French helps. I mean, well, it doesn't help, but I mean, it's definitely a big plus. Um, also, the there is... How can I put this? The perception of Mexican men by Mexican women is already um, not that great in general, I would yeah, say. Yeah, this is a very good point. So there is a phenomena of like machismo being macho, which... You know, nothing against it. Uh, I think it's it's good to have that in part in your society. But when it's over the top, like it is sometimes here, uh, you know, you just pretty much end up having a lot of women that are traumatized from their past relationship with those kind of men. So it opens up a lot of doors for foreigners that are perceived as kinder or, you know, just more suave, I guess, uh, not as uh, rough around the edges, let's put it like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, just not as uh, controlling, mm -hmm. possessive, you know, yeah. uh, some aggressive even, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of relationships seem to be controlling either between, either the man towards the woman or vice versa. Uh, I've heard a lot of toxic relationships here as well. It seems that the, like so many people have experience with toxic relationships here, mm -hmm. way more than elsewhere. I but mean, maybe that's just my perception. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's not the first time I hear that. Uh, I mean, it, here it's it's not that complicated, man. Like, you just act normal. Well, act act yourself. Don't don't be uh, don't be rude. Smile, and I mean, you already have half the work done. Because um, then, I mean, if you have other traits that'll distinguish you from. Uh, Mexicans again it depends where in Mexico because the demographics change between the north and the south of the country um, yeah for sure we, we generalize but it's such a big country it's so different mm -hmm. between the different regions right exactly so I mean dating here I mean it, it's been fun uh, but I mean now I settled down I found a girl that I'm very much in love with so happy about that but for the guys out there that want to date in Mexico um, learn how to dance that can be very helpful yeah for sure. if you and don't man just go up to the girl and say you don't know and she'll teach you uh, yeah, it's be also the easiest. because everyone knows how to dance yeah. here. Uh, everyone knows how to sing mm -hmm. too yeah that's it very big difference uh, that I notice is when you go out here in Mexico people give it their all man like when it comes to drinking singing dancing party is like a real event man it's the main hobby yeah it's the main hobby I mean you work so much you don't really have energy to do it's anything else it's basically the only hobby uh -huh. people like people have the same hobby schedule like they work till Friday p.m. 
uh, very late, like let's say 7, 8 p.m., and then they'll go out, and then the Saturday morning they'll all go eat the yeah. same thing, birria or just tacos, mm-hmm. with a beer too, and then mm-hmm. they'll restart the party on Saturday all night, and then on Sunday they'll go for breakfast too, and they'll drink a bit too, and yeah. like it's and everybody just does that, right? Oh, yeah. It has there's like a a party routine that goes on every weekend that everybody just repeats. Yeah, it's, it rarely stops, man. Um, I, I guess for a lot of people, that's it. Like you mentioned, people are working constantly, so uh, partying and alcohol is a release. Um, it's not necessarily. I don't think it's the best one, but I mean, it works for them for the time being. Um, yeah. Also, another thing about the the matchiness, um I was talking about. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this the other day uh, by the fact that during the Mexican Revolution, you have a large percentage of the male population that was killed. Yeah. So, like two million. Yeah. So, what ended up happening is the younger boys and younger men were pretty much venerated by the mothers um, because they now had the responsibility to, you know, lead the society, which was still, it, it has been in. I think will be for a very long time be patriarchal um, so they kind of became like little, you know little princes in their eyes and that kind of stuck in the culture so men feel that they can pretty much do and get away with anything they want that's a theory you know and, and mm-hmm. I share that theory but just to say that some people would disagree for sure I mean I'm not saying it applies to everyone um, but it's interesting just to see how you know how the perception of men and their perception of themselves has evolved in Mexico. For sure. And I think something else that comes with a high casualty war where men are the ones that that, that die, it's that there's, like, who's left? A lot of women and very little men. So, like, if you want to reproduce, a man has to reproduce with many women, right? Because, And I think that's also a factor in this, when uh-huh. you have a war and every, a lot of men get wiped out, the, the, the remaining men have to have a lot of women because that's the way you're going to reproduce. Obviously, just I'm assuming that this is the demographic national strategy, which has always been throughout history or, mm-hmm. or almost so. And I, I think that maybe has an impact too, when like because it just becomes normal for men to have multiple women. So like it becomes normal to do for them to do what they want, right? Yeah. And that, it, that's still an ongoing phenomenon. <laughs> it, it what, what's the is. word for um, not Playboy? Mujeriego. Mujeriego. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like someone that has. But the, the the Mexican men are different in the sense that they're well, not well. From my experience in Montreal, it's that they're gonna make every girl fall in love mm-hmm. rather than just like sleep around and you know like go on dates date many women. They're really gonna make every girl fall in love. Every girl's gonna think she's the love of his life. Mm-hmm. And they're just gonna do that for a couple of women, right? Like, you remember when we went to? Uh, I, I talked about this on the first podcast. We had uh, my friend Matic, which is uh, one of our best friends. His girlfriend has a had a friend that got killed in Malinalco. His name was Rogelio, and we went to his funeral, or at least when the when the body was received into the town the procession. Uh, yeah, and. He had like five girls crying over him, and mm-hmm. they were all claiming they were the girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. or the wife, you know. But they none of them were because that's what a mujeriego is. He makes them believe that 
they're all the the main women yeah. when the officers <laughs> are not right so okay so let's move on to just a very quick answer on any travel plans anything you want to do in the coming years regarding your travel expat experience yeah uh definitely at the top of my list is going back to el salvador uh, i was there for adopting bitcoin at the last one um, in 2022 definitely an amazing experience uh, i love the country the people there are so nice the weather eh, it's humid i mean it's very hot but it's, i mean you can you can live with that uh really had a great time there meeting a lot, meeting a lot of uh, old friends and new ones um definitely looking forward to the the next the next one um else around mexico definitely have a lot of places i want to visit like mazatlan um curious to go check out uh culiacan see <laughs> culiacan what, yeah see what the vibe there is about Uh, with the the norteños and whatnot. Um, well, just so much, so many things about Culiacan, mm -hmm. right? The narco culture, mm -hmm. uh, just a very strong state economically, not just in in that sector. Uh, you know, a lot of culture comes out of there, yeah. like a lot of music, the a food. lot of food, uh, yeah. uh, different accent, uh, different like people are look different, they're taller, they're mm -hmm. they're wider, you know. So so many things about yeah. Sinaloa, but. Yeah, it's always funny to say it, right? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, what else? Merida seems like a cool place to visit. Um, I want to see... I'm curious to, to discover more of... Well, I haven't been, but discover Chiapas. Yeah, uh, Chiapas looks interesting. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely... It's 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 the southest... The, the most southern state, so the closest to Guatemala's border and it's like extremely native so but but it but it, because it's extremely native and because it's uh, so deep south it has a an interesting climate and like a bit more jungly and but also like mountains and and beaches like it's it's very interesting it's very preserved as a state it's not at all modernized very poor So it has its bad sides, but as a tourist, it's, it's a beautiful place. So I've heard, right? Must have its charm. Um, I mean, yeah, I've been in Puerto Escondido as well, but I, I'm imagining that's already much more developed uh, compared to other regions of Chiapas. Oh, uh, no, it, it, it has nothing to do. Like, mm -hmm. Puerto Escondido is extremely developed, extremely, yeah. like... It's already like, a well-known place. Yeah, it's no place, you know. It's a touristic uh, American place. Every touristic place is like nothing compared to what really Chiapas is you know so it, it depends it's such a big place so mm -hmm. there's so many things but there's a lot of poverty yeah and I, I'm pretty sure we'd, we would be very shocked <laughs> right, we're gonna stand out um, what else Baja California Sur uh, that's just I mean it looks like it's the best weather in and the beaches in Mexico yeah I want to go there too uh, I mean the, the list goes on uh, yeah, I definitely, goes definitely on. have so much more to visit in central Mexico Uh, the north, I mean, hopefully one day, but right now I'm not really, like, motivated to, to go check it out. It's definitely more risky. Um, so, But I, you're willing to go to Culiacan? Which yeah, yeah. Willing, but that's already, like, 
you know, the capital of. But it's risky. Like they just they just arrested the Chapel Son like three mm-hmm. weeks ago, and there was definitely a, you need to pick your moment. It was a battle. Like, <laughs> it was like being in a war zone. So no, that's it for well, like two two, two days. Two but, days, yeah. But still, you know, you never know when you you get caught in, in this. Like this would never happen here in Querétaro, for sure, or in so many other places. But there, gotta watch out. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you for that. That was very interesting. Your thoughts on Mexico and uh, the specific cities, the culture, the dating scene, the nightlife. So now let's talk about your latest work, what you've been writing on. So maybe just introduce that quickly and then we can go into the details about every article you've written about. Happy to. Um, Yeah, so uh, mostly been writing for... Well, lately I've been writing for Coinkai um, and a couple of other companies, uh, but more that's more marketing marketing related. So uh, a bit different from what I've been doing for these guys. Mostly, you know, vulgarizing, doing what I, I know best uh, since I've been writing and vulgarizing stuff related to Bitcoin ever since Verify. Um, so had an article that's published right now called everything you need to know about passphrase so it's you know a a rundown of uh you know a brief evolution of like how wallets have been developed and private key standards and whatnot Uh, and then there's one about explaining the security architecture of the cold card mk4 Um, i mean i might sound like a cold card and coin kite chill but i mean they deliver some of the best products out there especially if you want top-notch security solely dedicated to your bitcoin i mean can't really uh, go wrong with them Uh, another one about entropy and how that's generated and i have a few more in the pipeline that are gonna come out very soon so just keep an eye out for their blog nice Okay, so I want to go f- into detail about these topics, but first I want you to, if you could, uh, ask you if you could explain the difference between cold card and the other hardware wallets. Mm-hmm. Like, not in too much detail, just for the people that don't know much about cold card or even hardware wallets. Okay. How can you, what makes it the best? Because I agree, I think it's the best. But what makes it the best and what are the differences with the main brands, such as Trezor? And Ledger, and maybe even others like Fountain. Right. So I, I guess the the biggest biggest difference, um, I mean, other than the fact that uh, it's Bitcoin only, uh, <clears throat> but uh, some uh, some other wallets out there are as well, is the fact that the latest model uses two secure elements instead of one. Um, so that is just to further distribute the risk tied to one secure element being compromised as well as increase greatly increase the cost of attacking their device uh, because the way it's constructed is not only do you need to crack the microcontroller unit which is basically a chip that organizes things in the device uh, acts like a kind of like a little brain if you will it tells the lungs to breathe uh, just as a metaphor let's say just like it says, it says send this signal to this chip and whatnot. Um, you need to crack that, the microcontroller or MCU. You need to crack the first secure element and you need to crack a secondary secure element. Both are from different manufacturers. Uh, 
it's not impossible. Nothing really is. But the likelihood of even breaching one is incredibly, incredibly small, infinitely small. Um, because, I mean, they the way that they launch themselves is, hey, we're not happy with the current standards of hardware wallets in the market, and we want something to protect our Bitcoin according to our standards. And that's pretty much what they set themselves out to do. Um, I mean, tre- uh, Trezor is still a good hardware wallet. The main issue is, not the main issue, but I mean, everything is very open source, and they use a micro microcontroller unit for the key storage. But they don't have a secure element. Right. So someone with physical access to the Trezor and uh, enough technical skills and like a hundred bucks worth of hardware can extract your seed phrase. So the 12 there's, there's actually tutorials about it. So right, your, you can look your, it your pin is useless. If mm-hmm. someone has access to that tutorial, they can just enter your device, bypassing your pin if they have physical access. Because right. I think the question really is about the physical access. Right. Because almost none of them, are, you're able to hack to, with them through online, right? Right. But Like that has n- basically never been a, a, a major point of difference between no. them. No, no, no. I, I don't think I've seen any cases of a hardware wallet being cracked through malware on your computer because you plugged it to your computer. I don't even, I'm not even sure if that's possible right now. I've, I've never seen that. I've seen things like you could believe you're sending uh, a different amount. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those things. Like, there are little mm-hmm. uh, changes to your transaction. Like, oh, you think you're sending testnet, but you're sending real coins. Right. Things like that. Or They like, can manipulate, like, the change address. Yeah, but even those things... I've never heard of a story where they've been hacked in real life. I've heard like the, those bags have been found, but but they've been probably mm-hmm. fixed before they were mm-hmm. um, ever attacked. The, the hard wallet was ever compromised. I, I I don't I don't know. You know there could be, but I've never heard of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so I mean, even even Colcar, they've had their fair share of uh, attacks. Like there was a laser fault injection. Um, in the MK2, which uses a uh-huh. mi- microchip 508A chip, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so basically, and this was done by the team at uh, Don John Ledger, so their yeah. research team. Basically, what they did is they cracked open, and, and all of this is not possible in, uh, with like the MK3 or, and, and so forth. Um, but essentially, yeah, you crack open your hardware wallet case, the transparent case, and then you desolder the MCU from the board, and then using like a... MCU's microcontroller, right? Uh, I'm sorry, the, the secure element from... Yeah, MCU's microcontroller, but you, you desolder the secure element from the board, Okay. and then you decapsulate it, meaning you have to shave off like a fraction of a millimeter gradually from the, the top of the chip to expose like the wiring basically and then you point a $200,000 laser at it and you try and mess with like the interference uh, in order to extract the pin and then and, and I think and that then you can like access you can log into the the cold card basically. but it takes like days right and it, it takes, takes like it costs takes, like half a million dollars it takes a lot of time you need you need a team of experts and it costs um, such a big amount of money, and it's no longer possible. So yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, already it was an unrealistic attack um, to begin with. You really need to be like targeted uh, by like these pro heist guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the CIA it's a diamond or like Ledger Inc. Yeah. You know, exactly. like exactly. very little, maybe wait on. It's an Ocean's like Eight type or, of yeah, yeah. thing. Okay, okay, okay. So if I got your answer, basically you're saying that the MK4 provides not only uh, a microcontroller like Treasure or Seed Signer, mm -hmm. and not only one secure element like Ledger mm -hmm. or even Fountain, but actually two secure elements. Right. So go a little bit more in detail about this process. So why? what is the function of each secure element how can you tell a story of like when you're using the cold card mm -hmm. how is every different part used at which moment and how do they connect with each other for sure um so kind of goes like this uh let's say you receive your cold card for the first time uh it's in the plastic transparent bag with a random number on it which is to identify the product in question that same number is in the OTP flash, so it's a one-time programmable memory of the... It's a chip inside the device. Like the name says, you could only write something into this chip once, and you can't modify it, you can't remove it. So when you boot up your call card, that same number appears on the device screen, and it should be the same number on the bag. So right away, this is in case someone intercepts your device uh, from the distributor from the shipping distributor or whatever and they swap it out already the bag too it's the tamper resistant well ev tamper evident bag so if someone unseals it i mean you're, you're given clear signs you can't like vacuum seal it back or whatever um but let's say you do uh yeah you can't swap out devices without already the numbers being different And then you need to choose your pin so this is a very important process the way cold card designed its pin process is instead of just having one pin you actually have kind of two pins or one split in half so you have a prefix and a suffix each being two to six digits in length the purpose of this is again if someone fiddled with your device or inserted a trojan device or we will also call like an evil maid attack yeah where you have a stranger in your house that messes with your stuff or notices you know what you're doing oh this guy's in bitcoin let me try and swap out a chip or change the device or whatnot so basically when you enter the first part of your pin two words appear which we'll call anti-phishing words and these same two words will always appear whenever you enter the first part of the pin correctly and you also have a green light that tells you that gives you like yeah go uh it's safe to enter the second half of your pin so because you've written down these words exactly. priorly, so you would be able to compare mm -hmm. your device and what makes it specific to your device is it an entropy within your device that like or is it what what, it, what why if someone changes the device and you enter the right. same words is 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 this a protection method like uh, what's the difference so the pin is tightly integrated with the secure element So trying to modify, well, already you, you can't really access the secure element um, because essentially it's, it's a question of, of uh, sharing secret, secrets between 
each component within the coal cart. So between the various secure elements, the MCU, and other little components, like the lights and whatnot. So everything is tightly integrated um, in itself. And each step of the process, uh, each step of like information exchange within the, the device is done through, let's call it like cryptographic handshakes. Uh-huh. So if your if your key is off by one bit, like the just everything it doesn't work, right? Right. So if anything's off, again by one little byte or bit, um, you know you can't you can't really go forward. Uh, and also, okay, so like this is the pin. Let's say you set your pin. Um, you you got your 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 digits. Uh, ideally, you remember your anti phishing words. Uh, yeah. Another little trick uh, that could be useful in case uh, something does happen that hasn't been um, acknowledged, perceived in advance, uh, like you can just hit, let's say, 1-1 one, one when you're entering your prefix, and that's not your pin, right? This is just a test, to see what those anti-phishing words are. Because if somehow, you know, someone swaps that memory, like they... They they figure out what your anti-phishing words are, right? Uh, let's say it's boat and banana. And they manage to enter your device somehow, very unlikely, again. Uh, and they can reproduce, whenever you enter your prefix, those same boat banana words. Uh, but you if, you, if you enter 1-1 one, one, the first time you set it up and you know that the words tied to that pin is apple and, you know, car. Okay. Uh, next time you enter one one and it doesn't Apple and car doesn't show up, well now you know okay shit someone. Okay, so the specific identification of the secure element mm-hmm. will answer the, the 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 phishing words to a specific prefix. Right. And if someone is able to game that and reproduce a call card, that will give you the same answer mm-hmm. for that the, specific the, pin. that your your prefix. Uh-huh. You could use you could. Enter other data and, and and check if it's based on other prefixes. Correct. So when you set it up, you could not only write down the anti-phishing words for your prefix, but for other random numbers, mm-hmm. and you could test that as well. Yeah. Because the odds of them gaming both or like multiple uh, prefixes and multiple phishing words is basically not too impossible. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. Um, also to note, like since we're talking about secrets here, if you enter the same pin into a different cold card, you're going to get completely different words. Uh, yeah. Just for those of you out there that think, oh, okay, I'm going to import my wallet, my my old cold card wallet into my new cold card. Well, and you use the same pin. Well, it's not it's not going to be the same anti phishing words. So. Right, because of the the, the identification associated to mm-hmm. the secure element. Right. So okay. the, the way secrets are shared and uh, you know stored within the device. Okay, so now you've entered your prefix. Mm-hmm. Now what happens when you enter your suffix too? So after you enter your suffix, um, you know, the device clears. Well, actually, um, the first thing that the device does is, well, no, no, actually, I'll get back to this later since right now this is the first time we're initiating the device. Uh, but normally what would it do is once you enter your full pin, it checks in the second secure element whether it's a trick pin or not. So a trick pin is anything like a brick mode or lo- t- login delay or, uh, you know. Right, specific features associated to other pins exactly. than your main pin. 
exactly because the main pin is used to log into your wallet and then you have trick pins that are used uh, in case you know uh, someone is trying to coerce you into unlocking your call card yeah so but let's say it's the first time you're entering your pin you confirm it now you're on the home screen and this is where you use the device to actually generate your wallet and you have a few ways of doing it um Typically, people will just use the device itself to generate the randomness that's necessary to create a private key or your your 12 to 24 words uh, that, you know, protect your Bitcoin. Uh, but you also have the option, actually, of... And let's say, like, you don't even trust Card that they're using or you don't trust their providers of uh, secure elements or the microcontroller. Yeah. You can bypass... All of that and just use dice rolls instead. Uh, and you can verify the math independently, like, you know, on your own, whether, like, the device, the cold card is not tricking you into thinking that it's actually taking dice rolls, but instead it's using pre words that are pre stored in the device and whatnot. Uh-huh. Like, right. e- everything is verifiable. Um, so that's another neat feature. Uh, you know, you don't, don't trust verify. And if, you don't want to trust really any components. You know, you have options, right? So it's depending on how. Okay, so yeah. if, if you create it, you, you have the option to create your seed phrase mm-hmm. with dice rolls, mm-hmm. which is an entropy you add. Right. But how does, if you don't do that, if you choose to just follow the device, how does the device entropy work? Right. Because, uh, I mean, entropy is something that's observable in nature. Um, entropy being you know the degrees of randomness that we can you know kind of keep track of Uh, so like we just mentioned you have mechanical entropy which is dice rolls in this example but it can also be a coin flip or you're playing uh, Russian roulette you know the odds are different Uh, but to have a high enough amount of randomness high enough amount of entropy it takes a lot of physical input you need to roll a lot of dice um, in this case you should roll 100 dice to achieve 256 bits of entropy which is right already the standard in pretty much everywhere in most places i would say whether it's like your credit card or military uses or you know bitcoin for sure so uh essentially the way this works is you have in the micro country each the the microcontroller that and both secure elements both have what's called uh, a true random number generator, uh, which uses a mechanical process, but it's much more scalable than just rolling dice, because uh, you have a little oscillator in the in each chip, which is you know an electrical component uh-huh. that vibrates depending on the frequency and the amount of. For the frequency and like the the charge of electricity that's going through it, and like the can it's also uh, uh, dependent on the external uh, temperature in the room you're in, and like the the way it's positioned, the way the angle you're holding it, and whatnot. So it's very sensitive, and basically this thing vibrates uh, very fast, a lot, a lot, a lot, and each time it vibrates, let's say up or down, well, your uh, uh, bits are recorded, so either one or or zero so you have a bunch of ones and zeros that are generated and this is um, again 
very long string of ones and zeros. Then this long string of, like I just said, binary digits goes through what's called a whitening process. So this is to make sure that your device is not biased as well. So let's say um, for some reason your secure element or your microcontroller is generating a larger, like 90% of the, the digits that are generated are zeros and 10% are ones. Well, the whitening process basically runs through, it runs everything through uh, SHA-256. So it's secure hash algorithm 256 to remove the bias. So now it's 50-50 uh, just in a random order, but the proportions, everything's like proportional right now. Okay. Uh, and then, so it's a lot of steps, but basically you have the microcontroller that generate this random string, right? And it's been yeah. whitened to remove bias. Yeah. Now what you have is both other secure elements that create a random digits as well using their true random number generators. Yeah. But then those are seeded or fed through uh, what's called a pseudo-random number generator, which okay. is uh, an algorithm instead of a mechanical process to generate random Okay, like, like code. Yeah, so it's it's... It's still, you know, secure, but it just has different applications. It's much faster yeah. to generate randomness using this. Um, the, the the difference is that um, if you want to crack this, you need the, the starting seed, so the initial, like, parameter to generate this randomness. But that's used, that that's provided by the secure elements. It's just that uh, moving forward, it's a pseudo-randomness that's used. Anyway, so you have... Those okay. two extra sources of randomness that are combined with the other source of randomness from the true random number generator in the, in the MCU. And that's encrypted um, the whole way through. Um, again, using okay. 256 bits. So it's like the highest standard. Well, one of the highest standards of encryption. And then that's stored in the secure element number one. Now, secure okay. element number one basically... Wait, let me stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Went so, a lot. so yeah, yeah. We I just want to recap that part. Okay, uh -huh. so um, basically, what happens is when you create when it creates your seed phrase, it first begins at the microcontroller with the, its true random generator or mm -hmm. or something like that, and it uses electrical, mechanical, like physical input mm -hmm. to create real randomness of of two hundred fifty six bits and then it passes through a whitening process like mm -hmm. that you said mm -hmm. where it just matches the amount of zeros and ones it has so that it's proportionate it removes bias yeah. it removes bias okay and then what do you mean by bias like when if, if let's say i would i would game the electrical input in, in, in a or sense, if i would yeah. game the temperature something or, like that or the device itself or, or the device itself does it okay so it removes bias either from an external input or from the device itself, just by random bias. Mm -hmm. And then, this is the part I, I'm not sure I got. Okay. So then, the the other secure generators also have random, two random generators? Right. Okay, so, and, and then, uh, they, they produce some, some, some entropy, and mm -hmm. then, they pass through, uh, like, a pseudo, they like, get combined uh, with, like, pseudo-randomness, something like that? So, you have seeds uh, that are, generated using the secure elements that are then used as for the, the pseudo-random number generator. 
found in each device respectively uh, as additional sources of randomness. Okay. And then all of this is put together. Everything's whitened, goes through that whitening bias removing process throughout. Okay, it's for everything. And then once everything is like put together, it's encrypted again using um, a 256-bit key, which is the kind of encryption you see when you want to go on secure websites like HTTPS, uh, your credit cards. Yeah. I, I mentioned this before, right? Um, and then, all right, so now your private key is stored in the secure element. Why isn't it stored in the MCU? Is because the MCU or the microcontroller is not designed to be tamper-resistant. It's designed to you know, manage your, your electrical stuff uh, your programs, your softwares, uh-huh. and whatnot, but it's it's not designed to to be resistant to like lasers or like side channel attacks or various other attacks that secure elements are specifically designed for to protect against. Um, but you don't want to trust that your secure element is still undefeatable, right? So that's why it's encrypted beforehand, um, before putting it into the first secure element. The only way to decrypt it is you enter the correct pin and then um, through a very complicated process of cryptographic handshakes and and whatnot, um, you essentially obtain part of the decryption key from the MCU, part of the decryption key from the second secure element, and the first secure element also has part of that decryption key. And only once like all the checks are made, like nothing has been fiddled with, no circuits, have been manipulated. No, no wrongdoing has been detected, basically, and the cryptographic proofs between each chip has been provided. Only then that the private key is decrypted to be accessible in your device to sign transactions. Okay, so so what you're saying is uh, okay. For, first, let me wrap up the the mm. other part, which I think I got. The entropy basically is. True random generators in each component, mm-hmm. MCU, secure element one, secure element two, boom, uh, physical entropy, white net, like uh, the process of whitening mm-hmm. where they like you remove the bias, either like external or just physical bias. Mm-hmm. And then it gets uh, all like all packaged together and then it's like rehashed uh, and it's like true like pseudo like uh, entropy, right? The the hash is like pseudo entropy, something like that. No, the I, I just didn't get what pseudo entropy. Okay, what was so, the play of that? So that comes into play. So you have the the secure elements each generate a starting seed for the pseudo random number generator, also found within each secure element. Okay. And then that's used to generate. Entropy. Ah, okay, okay, I understand. Okay, so it's before. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's before. Okay, it's before. Okay, and then it... So basically, you just have entropy for generating your private key is seeded from three different sources. Yeah, I understand that. That's, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. It's now just let's the kind m- of randomness that is used is varies from chip to chip. Right, okay, okay. So now, once the, the, the seed has been created, it's going to be inserted in the secure element one, mm-hmm. and it's encrypted. Right. And so when you, and let's say you turn off the device, and now you turn on the device, uh, and it's still encrypted mm-hmm. because you haven't entered your PIN. But as soon as you enter your PIN, what, like, I understood that 
to decrypt the the seed phrase you need like like in, like keys from each component mm -hmm. but can you explain how you go from entering the pin to getting those different keys from each component like does the does the pin unlock one device and that device unlocks the, one component okay. like what, explain that part so when you enter your pin uh it first checks in the secure element number two whether or not it's a trick pin because that's where the trick pins are stored it's in okay. the secure element right. number two and it's not the I mean, again, it's it's not likely, but it's it's not the end of the world if it's leaked because what are you going to do with a trick pin, right? Um, other than like brick the device or yeah, whatnot. Um, it, it's it's uh, defensive measures, right? That you're going to activate at the end of the day. Yeah. So the MCU asks secure element number two. Okay, is that a trick pin? MCU sa uh, secure element number two says no. Um, and during the process, they exchange secrets between themselves. To authenticate themselves to one another uh -huh. and a connection is established okay they validate it themselves to one another because when you set the pin also that's when a first secret there's a secret within the MCU that's determined by the pin so already you have a secret there uh, next step is okay is this a valid pin right so MCU checks with SE1 okay SE1 answers back He says yes or no, right? If it's no, you don't log in. You get error attempt number one. Okay, so the secret, the secret element two knows the secret pins. Yeah, uh, trick pins. The yeah. trick pins. They already have like a pre-established communication channel that right. is like with handshakes mm -hmm. to make sure it's it's the right party that's communicating with it. It's mm -hmm. kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And then once it's it finds out it's not a trick pin, it goes and talks to the first secret element because that's the one that knows what the real pin is and if it's not the real pin well it just doesn't answer or just boom well, denied it, it activates the error message exactly yeah but if it is if it is what happens that's where um again you have this exchange of secrets between each component and if one like if secure element number one validates itself to the mcu then the mcu Uh, then they share that secret within one, w uh, with one another to establish that connection. And then you have the process of getting part of the decryption key from SE2, combining it with the one in the MCU, and then getting part of the secret of the other part of the decryption key in the secure element number one. And then that's used to like open up secure element access to the private key held within secure element number one. Okay, okay. So be when the, the secure element number one answers, it is the real pin. Mm -hmm. It answers with some sort of a key that you could unlock what the secure element two has as mm -hmm. its part and what the MCU has and what, the, uh, what each one has to then get the key to open, to decrypt the, the seed. Phrase that right. is found it, it's in the secure element. It's a one. cryptographic messaging system, basically. Okay, okay. I think I got it. Um, okay. All the details are in the article. Okay. Uh, where, not remembering where all can of, people find the article? Uh, right, just go on blog.coinkite.com. Okay. And it's one of the first ones there at the top. Okay, awesome. Um, so, woof, that, that, <laughs> that was a lot. So yeah, that that's was really interesting. I really like the way you explained it, honestly. Thank you. Uh, you did it really good. So, Now, um, I just want to, so I just, so now we've talked about the entropy, we've talked about this different, 
parts of each device. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the passphrases. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we can do this maybe another time. Uh, sure. So I just want to know what. Oh, but just to mention. Okay, go ahead. Um, you know, earlier we were talking about different hardware wallets and their vulnerabilities, even with the cold, older versions of the cold card. But all of those vulnerabilities can be mitigated using a passphrase. So even if someone cracks into your Trezor or right. manages to get the $200,000 laser to extract your PIN, if no one has... Because the, the passphrase is never stored on the device. It's, right. Uh, because there's no such thing as an invalid passphrase. Uh, anything you add to your main seed will create a new BIP32 wallet. So if you have a passphrase already, you eliminate a whole bunch of risks. Right, right, right. Okay, so... I, I guess that's that's basically the the ultimate fail safe, mm-hmm. right? Where like if everything else fails, which honestly would be so hard to figure out, yeah, how to make like both secure elements in the MCU fail in in the yeah. cold cards case. But if it all fails, if you had a passphrase, you're not compromised because mm-hmm. you have a passphrase. If your passphrase is complex enough, right? Because Just inputting three digits is... Yeah, I mean, you can. Is, al- someone can always try and, and brute force it. Yeah, um, exactly. So, like, guess a bunch of times what it is using specialized computers. But, I mean... So, if you buy a cold card and you put on a passphrase, that is impossible for me, to brute force. For me, that's, that's, like, one of the best setups out there. It's incredible. I, I totally agree. Okay, so I, I finally understood that... What makes the MK4 so special mm-hmm. uh, from and different from other hardware wallets that have secure elements as well, right? Yeah, um, I mean the their newest product that's available. Yeah, I wanted to talk to yeah. you about that. So, tell us about what what's it called already Q1. I think Q1. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's basically the same security architecture as the MK4. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're. And the way I understood it also is that they're not going to discontinue the MK series because it's very much uh, wanted and desired by, you know, people in in the the industry in general. Uh, This is just like a new line of products because it has a few different features like a QR code scanner. QR code scanner. Uh, Uh So if you want to, you know, scan an address to make sure it belongs to your wallet or... You want to send funds to someone uh, and you want to scan it that way instead of, you know, getting it, sharing it online or whatnot um, or through other communications. Um, yeah. What uh, else? It has it has the query, the, you know, the keyboard on it. So it's very useful. If you it's wanna, like a complete keyboard. Yeah. It, it reminds me really of like the, the old agendas from like the early 2000s. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, I, I, I see what looks, you're saying. Yeah. Kind of looks like a, like a Blackberry also. Yeah. It kind of looks like a Blackberry. Okay. So, so it's, but it's just that it's just, it's the same technology basically behind with the QR code scanner. Underlying security is very much the same. Okay. Uh, but you also have the benefit of it being battery powered. So you don't need to plug it into anything. Uh, you can just right. have a bunch of batteries. And it also has slots for two micro SD cards. So you can use one to insert, you know, your air-gapped uh, PSBT, your partially signed Bitcoin transaction that you created. Yeah. You can sign it and then you can export that signed transaction on a separate, <clears throat> sorry, on a separate um, micro SD. Uh, what else? It has a flashlight for better scanning. Uh, 
I, I have to play with it. So it's mostly physical features, mm-hmm. right? Such as the the, the camera, uh, probably a bigger screen, right? Yeah, bigger screen too. Uh, a so better like display. A keyboard, better display. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said like a flash flash for for your camera, basically, mm-hmm. like a phone, um, battery, uh, and something else. Was that it? And more, I can imagine it has more uh, memory too. Um, don't rem- not sh- you're not, not sure for sure. Okay. Already, the MK4 came with more uh, RAM, more pseudo RAM. Yeah. So essentially, that allows you to sign more complex transactions. Um, larger transactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what comes to mind right now. Okay, uh, I'm sure there's others. I don't think they disclosed everything yet. Um, All right, and the and the two micro C slots. Right. So yeah, you you mentioned that. They they didn't fully disclose everything. You think? Uh, I I think most of it's out there already. Um, but then again. You know what? What what can we display ordinals on the screen, for example? <laughs> I, I don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> okay, okay. It's uh, I'm just checking right now because I really wanted to 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 get everything. Uh-huh. It's the same. It's practically the same price as the MK4, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, uh, yeah, it's the same price. That's, that's interesting. Maybe a bit more. Uh, okay, so the the screen is four times the size mm-hmm. of the MK4. It's the the wireless, the battery. Mm-hmm. Powered, which is really interesting. That that feature I really like. Mm-hmm. The QR code scanner uh, with LED illumination, advanced scanning algorithms, and serial interface. They, I, you know, what I think would be an interesting topic for an article that you could write, or just something that the company can communicate further, is um, because they write here QR code scanner done right done right yeah and I I've, wonder who they're referring to yeah because <laughs> they they've been they've criticized other companies in the past so I really want to know why why is it done right right so mm-hmm. this, yeah because is, uh, actually the, one of the main criticisms of the scanner I've heard before is that uh, it's not human readable right I mean who can read a QR code so now you're trusting the device to make sure that you know it read the QR code properly or um, even if it did, that it didn't manipulate any of the information. So it probably has to do um, about something around there, like the way yeah. messages or secrets are shared. I don't know. Uh, I need to look into it more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It says scanning, advanced scanning algorithms and mm-hmm. serial interface, right? So I guess the answer is partially there. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, so before we end, we're we're nearing the end, but not so so yeah, so I want to know. Um, I f- I think we've wrapped up on that com- topic on the cold card topic. Unless you had anything else to share, maybe you could tell us what other subjects you're gonna look into if if you can share publicly or sure uh, anything. I mean, I, I do have a, I have started a Substack. Uh, now I'm working on populating it. So a few subjects that have piqued my curiosity is diving more into the world of entropy and potentially its impact i mean the way it evolves and its impact on bitcoin because like i mentioned we're using yes it's called a true random number generator but it's limited to physical processes you know of things that are observable maybe under the microscope or not whereas you know you have the whole world of quantum um mechanics that's you know being more and more yeah. explored and that offers 
new realms of generating entropy. Uh, because instead of it being like a mechanical thing within a chip, like an oscillator that's going back and forth, it can be, um, you know, heat being emitted from something like a chip or ra- like radioactive decay. Uh, yeah, and part- for sure. the, Analyzing those particles and uh, each time that particle moves in a certain direction, that's when you hit one or zero to create your string of digits. That's cool. Um, that's yeah, really def- cool. definitely very curious about that and, and interested in, in writing about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the list is long of stuff, okay. of things I want to write about. Okay, uh, okay, that's that's really good. Um, I'm I'm really interested in that topic too. So if you ever learn about that mm-hmm. quantum entropy, sounds cool, right? You have quantum number generators, but they're just not that commercialized yet. Okay, well, if, well, yeah, I'm I'm sure they're not, right? <laughs> because <laughs> it's it's crazy. But whenever you learn more about that, publish some work. We'll we'll sure. have you again. So you can explain that. I'm sure a lot of people would be interested to hear more about that. Sounds good. Uh, okay, so just general Bitcoin question. Any Bitcoin development that excites you besides what we've talked so far, right? Anything new or just in the tech world as well? Can mm-hmm. you just talk, ramble a bit about that? Sure. Uh, I mean, lately, well, ever since you know the whole AI thing started, Uh, I've been playing a lot with the tools there. Very fun. Um, Do you use Open uh, ChatGPT to write your articles? Uh, no, no, it's all all original, but it, it does help um, if you know how to use it right in brainstorming. I think that's really useful because, well, actually, more or less, because I, I, I generated several lists of ideas. The main issue is, I think, is that it's not up, as much up to date as I want it to be. And it steers clear of anything controversial. It's kind of dumb too. Like yeah, it repeats it's, it's, itself. It's pretty like, dumb. Like because I, I ask it the same thing. I I was mm-hmm. like topics around, like ideas uh, for articles around this topic or mm-hmm. sections of an article for this topic, and it kind of repeats itself. You yeah. Know? Like the first five answers I'll give you are pretty diverse, but then you'll just ask it. Okay, can you share some more? And it would just repackage them. Right. Like, yeah. Because like I'm I'm very curious to see. Um, you know, what it might think of topics that people might be curious about but aren't uh, nearly enough documented or just not very mainstream. Uh, if it'll save me time, you know, doing all the research about discovering new things and just, like, blurt out, you know, a list of, like, very obscure technical stuff. But it's super basic. Like, I've been really disappointed on that front. Yeah, um, I think... Um I think the next, the Bing one, mm-hmm. what's his name again? Sydney. Uh, it can do yeah. stuff like that because it's mm-hmm. connected to the internet. It's it's like ChatGPT yeah. 3.5. Yeah, that one I'm more excited about. But they just announced they're gonna like block it. Ah, really? I think it's like <laughs> max like three, three questions in a row, and then it resets. Oh, so it doesn't keep track of like it past. doesn't keep track of uh-huh. past conversations because it goes crazy. <laughs> You've seen how it like yeah, I've seen it, it will give you orders or like it, it will really get emotional. mad at you. It will like try to manipulate you. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Yeah, well, I I but I think that will have some answers for you that mm-hmm. that you'll like. Yeah, I, I mean, if you want to write like marketing copy and stuff like that, it's useful. But if you want to write a research paper, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, again, I mean, it can help structure ideas and stuff or brainstorm to a certain point. 
But then again, like it's nowhere near writing, you know, a book or stuff like for that. For sure, for sure. Uh, okay. Other than that, like Dali, Mid Journey, you know, like text to image stuff. Yeah, because you do design as well. Yeah, you, so you use that. That's really fun to see what kind of output I can get. Uh, it's again, it's not. It's very hard to like create what you're picturing in your mind, uh, and then you're putting that through like a computer. So you do have like interesting results, but. Uh, at least I get to play with it and I can always modify those images, you know, nice. how I want to afterwards, right? Have my own creative for sure, input. For sure. So that's been cool. Um, else more specific to Bitcoin. Uh, kind of been taking a step back, honestly, because I've been seeing a lot of debates going on around ordinals and whatnot. And uh-huh. I didn't really get involved in that because it's not that's, that's not why I use Bitcoin. So I, I don't really... And I don't think it's the worst thing ever. So um, that, again, might be a controversial opinion in an in and of itself. Um, the NFT stuff. Yeah, the whole NFT thing. Yeah, uh, I talked about this with Magic a mm-hmm. bit on the first. I, I agree. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's... But uh, there are some other interesting developments uh, that I need to look into. Uh, some that already have been mentioned like in the past, but have kind of faded away and like are coming back, such as uh, drive chains. But yeah. you, you might know a bit more about that than I. Honestly, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I haven't updated on that yeah. either. I, uh, lately, I've been reading about uh, OP Vault. Oh right, okay. Vault and and like Covenant. Okay, so, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's gonna. But there's a bit of controversy again. Do, do, you, do you think that has the potential to change the world of self custody and custody? It in definitely does, but like in in. And a complementary. Okay, it's way. not like a zero to one kind of. No, nah, okay. and, and that's the purpose. Like mm-hmm. covenants would be zero to one in the sense that they're very flexible. Okay, this is one specific covenant. It's a vault, which allows you to uh, set a, a a delay period when you make transactions, so that you cannot send funds right away. You have to initiate, make a request of moving funds mm-hmm. of like and like a timer starts let's say it's 24 hours 24 hours later only you can move the funds away from your wallet and the specific way you specified like in the right. in the in the trigger withdraw transaction okay so it's it's a delay period basically and that just helps in the in the situation where you get hacked or your Bitcoin gets stolen so that mm-hmm. the hacker cannot access your coins right away. It's basically the only use case. It's really about the delay period. And also, you have an address. Uh, you have a, a recovery path, which allows you to sweep the funds at any time. So let's say you detect that a hacker has uh, is, is trying to withdraw funds from like your wallet. They initiated a timer or something. They initiated a timer. You have 24 hours to act. Mm-hmm. But you, if you have access to your recovery wallet, you can initiate the recovery wallet and that the recovery method, and that one happens instantly. So you, within that window, you can recuperate your funds. Right. And so that's basically what it is. It's on-chain security measures versus hardware. Or exactly, exactly. It's on-chain custody policies. Okay. That can be implemented at all the levels, either hardware or just software. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this would implement it on chain very specifically very small change two OP codes very simple 
shouldn't be very controversial, but everything is. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so now we're kind of done. So where can people follow you? To, to Where can people yeah. read more about your work? For sure. Um, so across my socials, I use pretty much the same handle everywhere. Pretty, yeah. Uh, which is Tristan Borges, T-R-I-S-T-A-N. Borges with two S's. So it's B-O-R-G-E-S-S. Uh, also, so that's Twitter, Substack. Um, you know, if you're someone that uses LinkedIn for some reason. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it's it's the best way to find me to, to look me up um, send me a message if you want to chat more than happy to to connect with more people in the community uh, discuss ideas uh, get work commission whatnot. I mean awesome and yeah. what like what can people go to you if they need like articles that oh, they want to be written sure. what, what what do you have to offer what make a little pitch right here yeah so um, you need a technical concept to be vulgarized, where, whether it's how your product works or your software works or how something works in Bitcoin, uh, whether on-chain, lightning, uh, you know, new developments, other BIPs. Really, that's that's kind of my realm of, that's really what I've been focused on for the past like four or five years. It's everything related to Bitcoin and hardware and some software stuff. So, yeah, whether it's, a short article, a research paper, you're curious about developments or, uh, you know, if there's are, are any interesting correlations to be made and you have theories you want to test out, uh, I mean, it's my bread and butter. Technical writing. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone that's listening, if you're looking for a technical writer, you know where to find him. All right. Thank you, everyone. It was This was a very fun chat. Learned a lot. I hope you guys did too. See you next week. Well, we're going to have Uh, a friend of mine he's uh, I won't disclose his name he lives in Puerto Escondido and he's uh, trying to run like a, to, to launch a Bitcoin startup um, and we'll get all the details in the next episode so make sure to tune in recommend this podcast and share it thank you yeah, thank, thank you Tristan yeah thanks Gustavo <laughs>